Hey friends, welcome to the Feeling Better Podcast. My name is Maria, and I'm the host of this podcast and the author of the book, The Feeling Better 10-4 Program, that teaches you an effective, practical, insightful 10-week program to help you beat your compulsive gambling addiction from a spiritual perspective. Before anything, I have a bit of housekeeping I need to update my listeners on. First, I just reached my 5,000 download milestone last week, which is very humbling. On one hand, I appreciate everyone who's listened or shared this podcast. I'm so, so thankful that people are finding my podcast and hopefully getting some comfort or support from it. I love getting emails from listeners who share their story with me or ask me to pray for them during tough times or tell me about the successes they've had or just message me to connect. On the other hand, though, having that many downloads in only two months and getting all of those emails is a stark testament to how prevalent gambling addiction is in this world. The most surprising thing about peeking at my statistics was how many listeners there are from other countries. In addition to the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and Australia, I currently have listeners from 20 other countries. I didn't even realize that compulsive gambling addiction was such a concern in those parts of the world. In other news, my interview with Brian Hatch of the All In Addicted Gamblers podcast went live on Saturday, April 29th. Brian is an incredible guy and a pillar of the problem gambling community, and it was both a pleasure and an honor to tell my story and share some of what I'm doing on his podcast. Go check it out if you haven't caught it yet. Brian was even on Fox News Monday, May 1st with a short segment talking about gambling addiction. I think it's fantastic. Some of us are doing as much as we can to address the responsibility of the big casinos and the harm their suspect business practices and advertising cause to new gamblers or current compulsive gamblers. I've got the link to both my interview with Brian and his segment on Fox News in the show notes of this episode. Finally, the last piece of news. If by some chance you were someone who occasionally or regularly caught my content on YouTube, I've removed my channel. Converting my podcast into a YouTube video was just too time-consuming, and it wasn't getting the traction that my podcast had been receiving. With all the work and hustling I'm doing to pay off my debts and the household chores and work in my gardens this spring, the effort required to keep my YouTube channel going just hasn't been worth the return. But you can find my episodes when they go live, either on my website, thefeelingbatter.com, or any other podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Audible. So with that all out of the way, this week I'll be reading from the afterward conclusion of my book, but I've revised this section from the book version. I wrote the afterward and conclusion of my book back in mid-February, and I've had so much insight and new understanding about things since then. So I've modified it a little to encompass that, and I've also added a segment that describes where I am now since I initially launched this podcast and published my book. A lot has happened, and it's been a pretty awesome, mind-blowing experience. Disclaimer, though, I've gotten several emails and questions from gambling addicts who are, in fact, Christian believers. 
And so I wanted to do a special deep dive into a couple of spiritual topics about money in the afterlife in heaven that specifically pertain to those of the Christian faith. So this episode is going to be heavier into the spirituality piece rather than the addiction piece. If you're not a Christian believer, I still very much encourage you to listen to this. It might end up blowing your mind as well. But if the faith aspects of my podcast are not for you, just hang tight until next week when I talk about the new medical condition I developed that I know came as a result from the stress of gambling. Going forward, my future episodes will address gambling addiction topics like why is it so hard to self-exclude once and for all, and what to do if or when your spouse keeps making you feel bad even though you've stopped gambling, as well as a continued focus on living the spiritual faithful life. The primary focus will be faith-based episodes that address spiritual strength in overcoming addiction, figuring out your purpose in life, how to find fulfillment, and more. Because at the end of the day, it was a huge misalignment in my faith and the way I'd been living that made it easy for Satan to attack me in the first place. But remember, there's always purpose in the pain, and nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. I thought the sole purpose of that pain was this podcast and helping others through their addiction and their spiritual journey. And that is true, but actually it's so much more than that. I'll talk about that in a bit. Just know that at the beginning of each episode going forward, now that I'm done with the book portion of this podcast, I'm going to provide a quick topic overview of what I'm going to discuss so that you immediately know what the episode is going to be about. And you can also find that in the show notes as well. So, are you ready to jump in and hear all about the big bet God asked me to place on my life and the life-impacting direction change I've had over the last several weeks? If so, let's dive in. Afterward, the biggest bet of your life. First of all, I want to extend a huge heartfelt congratulations to each and every one of you who made it this far and haven't gambled. You now have 70 plus days under your belt, and I hope and pray you're feeling more like your old self again. Even if you've slipped up and relapsed, I know that you have the tools and insight to defeat this once and for all. You can do it, and you can continue to remain gambling-free going forward. Remember, this is both a disease and a spiritual attack by the enemy. The cure I've offered here in this book isn't going to be instantaneous for everyone. In fact, it's going to be a process for some compulsive gamblers who listen to this. What I want you to understand, though, is that you will be bound by the weight of the shackles and the chains of addiction if you continue to gamble. The spiritual demonic attack forever altered something in our physical biology And as a result, it's imperative to understand that we cannot and should not ever consider gambling just for simple entertainment or hope that one day we revert to being casual betters. We have to abstain from gambling as if it were heroin or cocaine. Even though I talked about in a previous episode how to fast and remove the stubborn demons of addiction permanently, I know that not everyone is going to be able to do that or have the right spirit and mindset for that piece of it. I'd mentioned early on that this podcast wasn't just for Christians, so there are going to be some for whom the fasting and prayer piece doesn't appeal. 
If that's you, then you have to simply treat your gambling recovery like an injury that heals badly and can flare up again if you aren't careful. Like someone who perhaps had a shoulder injury or broke their leg or got carpal tunnel syndrome in their wrist. You have to always and forever be mindful of it so it doesn't flare back up and cause you grief and pain. So, one of the things I'm recommending everyone do, Christian believer or not, is to make a video of yourself. Whether you've plowed through these last 10 weeks perfectly, or you've binge-listened all the way to the end here, or you've slipped up and relapsed along the way, or you're brand new to this podcast, I still want you to do this. Set up your phone and then sit in front of it. Say the date and then talk about your ordeal and what you went through during the worst of your addiction. I want you to share some feelings about where you are now and what the last 10 weeks have been like. If you haven't fully stopped gambling yet, talk about what you're feeling and why you decided you need to stop gambling. I also want you to specifically discuss your finances. How much debt do you have? How much do you have in your bank accounts? You can make this video as short or as detailed as you want, but feel free to let the emotion flow out and be specific with the numbers. No one is going to see it but you. This is for your eyes only. I want you to do this as a time capsule of sorts because you're going to tuck it away on your phone for one year and then come back and watch it on your one-year gamble-free anniversary. I'm suggesting you do that because the morning I wrote this last portion of my book on Monday, February 20th, I had gotten in my car and driven to the post office, wasting gas because I forgot it was closed for President's Day, and on the way back, I became overwhelmed with emotion and began praying to God. It hadn't been a good weekend. My financial situation was seriously a hot mess. The company I'd worked with on my debt settlement had, accidentally, taken an extra payment out of our bank account, and it messed everything up. I had just exactly enough to cover everything, and that additional payment meant the check I wrote to pay our property taxes was going to bounce, which meant even more fees and, once again, a negative balance in our account with two weeks until the next paycheck. I spent a half hour on the phone with the company on that Friday, sorting it all out. They apologized profusely, promising to reverse it, although it was going to take a couple of business days for that to go back into our bank account. By then, it would be too late, though. The tax check would bounce, and fees would incur. The mounting pile of debt and late fees and interest was bogging me down big time. I no longer felt comfortable with that company, and so I decided to close down my account with them and find another one. I spent hours researching yet again, with a mental capacity that I just didn't have. Over the previous month, I'd had to take out two additional mega high-interest payday-type loans. Not for gambling, but just to pay my bills and cover my fees. So now, as I signed up with a new debt management company, my consolidated debt repayment amount was $750 every two weeks. Yeah, that hurt. $1,500 a month. That was more than double our mortgage payment. Even with all the spiritual healing and self-forgiveness and purpose that God blessed me with the insight to see these last 10 weeks, there were times when the weight of it all just felt too big. With each creditor or collections call I got, I became more and more discouraged. 
I couldn't even afford the $8 it cost to have a final proof of this book. Yet another reason I beg you'll be forgiving with formatting or grammar errors. I knew I wasn't going to gamble. I didn't have anything to gamble with even if I wanted to. Plus, I was completely self-excluded from every casino app out there. Not to mention, I never again wanted to feel that kind of darkness, hopelessness, and despair. Still, I couldn't stop thinking about that $8,000 I gambled away. We'd be in a completely different position if I just kept that withdrawal. Day after day, I lamented over that lost money, even though I knew God didn't want me to give it another thought. It's not like ruining the loss of that money would bring it back, so it was pointless to keep thinking about it. But financial despair is tough, isn't it? For some reason, it's a hard thing to free your mind and your heart from financial worry and give it to God. Every single day for months, I felt the heavy burden of juggling Peter to pay Paul. No Bible puns intended there. We didn't have anyone we could borrow money from, and there were no other lending companies willing to lend to me. But I didn't know if I'd have the strength or the faith to rely on the daily bread from God, as the Lord's Prayer states. Give us this day our daily bread. That literally means, I will rely on you to take care of me today, Lord, and that's all I need. Then tomorrow, I will rely on you for tomorrow. As humans, we're so apt to want to control and fix and direct and rearrange every aspect of our lives that we don't like, or we don't find pleasing, or don't feel is working for us. That's the flesh talking. We can do it ourselves, and we can make things right. Nope. We can't. That's not how faith and surrender works. On my way back from the post office on that day, I began to cry. Not because I was desolate, desperate, or hopeless. Honestly, my brain just hurt. My faith was just plum worn out. I was tired. So, so tired. I didn't have any words of prayer, just tears that I wiped away as fast as they fell. I believed wholeheartedly in the goodness of God, but I was so, so exhausted by the heavy burden of debt and the responsibility that I carried. My sin might have been forgiven and wiped clean, but the financial aftermath was still there, oppressing my spirit every time I got a collection call or had to pay a bill or had to explain to my hubby why there was no money in our checking account. Overcoming a gambling addiction isn't like a diet or exercise program or breaking a bad habit or working toward a set of goals. In those situations, even if you have bad days, you're still working towards something with a tangible accomplishment and improvement that you can see. If you start working out, even if you skip a few days or have a bad training session, you can still see the effects of your efforts after 10 weeks. Same thing goes with the diet. Cut out all the sugar and processed carbs and eat clean food for 10 weeks, and you'll look and feel amazing. You'll have less bloating, better energy, a slimmer body, and feel great. But after my 10 weeks, what did I have to show for it? Collection calls around the clock? A bank account balance that was once again in the negative? At least three more years of debt? with a massive monthly payment of our budget to pay it all down. The burden of responsibly managing it all week after week after week. 
And that's not even counting all the years beyond that I have to spend building my credit score back up. I kept thinking about Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. For those of you youngins who have no idea what a yoke is, allow this country gal to explain. Have you ever seen a picture or an old-timey movie of two oxen that have the wooden bar thingy between them fitted around their necks? That's called a yoke. It's meant for animals who did heavy work. It's also the wooden thing a person would put around their neck with a pail of water at each end. Bottom line, the yoke is a tool for heavy, manual, backbreaking labor. I just couldn't understand how I was going to continue on this way. The financial burden I'd created for us was so, so heavy. How did I exchange my backbreaking yoke for Christ's easy-to-bear yoke? And how do I even find a bit of rest from all of it? Not joking, at least every half hour, if not more, a collector called, some even making back-to-back-to-back harassing calls in their attempt to get me to pay one of our past due credit card bills. The new debt management company said that would cease after a few weeks, but it seemed like an eternity for me. Yet again, we didn't have any money left for the next two weeks until payday, and our finances weren't any better off than they were two months earlier. I couldn't help it. Through my tears, my mind briefly flitted to the times I'd won a jackpot. If I could win just one more, just one more, it would help us out in a big, big way. I knew I was self-excluded from all the casino apps, but might there be one that I missed? But then God spoke to me, not in an audible way where I heard his voice, but in that still small way inside me, coming from the Holy Spirit. Christian believers, you know what I'm talking about. And that voice said, don't do it, my child. It's what the enemy wants you to do so he can bring you back down into his hell. You finally escaped it, and you're here with me now where I will protect you and care for you. Do not worry about your finances or your future. Trust me. Just trust in me and give me one year. During that one year, I want you to tithe 10% of your income to my kingdom. Do it as a show of faith. Even if you think you don't have it, do it anyway. See what I'm going to do for you and through you if you just remain steadfast and faithful. I'm asking you to give me one year as you continue to draw closer to me. He then put a verse in my head that I'd remembered from a Bible study I did. I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my sake, yes, for my own sake. Isaiah 48, 10 and 11. Okay, God was asking me for one year. But one year for what, Lord? I thought God was telling me to give him one year and he'll restore my wealth, like Job, and bring me back to normal. You know, the old me. 
the BG or before gambling me. But that wasn't it. I'll tell you why in a bit. And it's a story I pray I have the eloquence to convey. It's amazing how you can hear God speak to you without him actually speaking to you. But there was no mistaking what he was asking me to do. One year. Okay, okay. One year. I hear you loud and clear, Lord. That's what I was going to do. I felt like he wanted me to give you that message as well, asking you who are Christian believers and current or former gambling addicts to give him one year as a test so that you can see what he's going to do in your life as a result of your discipline, faith, and tithing too. Will you try it with me? There had been a nudgy feeling inside me that told me if I did this, if I trusted the Lord with this, then it would pay off far bigger than any gambling I would ever consider doing. Pastor Craig Groeschel had said this repeatedly, never underestimate how God can do something big through one small act of obedience. I think about that line often, and it's a great reminder of why it's so important for us to continuously learn, watch, listen, and absorb the words of pastors and Bible teachers who've been called by God to help shepherd and guide the lost sheep. Acts of obedience require faith in what has yet to be seen. Sometimes we only need to take small steps, but other times we have to take a great big leap. For some, this challenge to give God one year and tithe 10% of your income might just be a small act of obedience. But for others, it might be a really, really big leap of faith. What I want you to understand is that more important than whatever financial blessing the Lord might provide us with in doing this, we're also going to spend the year storing up our treasures in heaven. Remember those crowns I talked about in the last episode? This is where those come in. Whether you take a step or a leap of faith for God, you're adding to your bank of eternal treasure. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul describes what happens when we stand before God on our day of judgment. He says, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on that judgment day, fire will reveal the kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value, and if the work survives, that person will receive a reward. 1 Corinthians 3, 12-14 Again, Paul discusses this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, where he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What does that mean, you ask? Well, first of all, As we already know, our sins are wiped clean from our earthly record because of our faith in Christ. Our debt for all the things we did wrong here in this life was paid by Jesus. You've heard the stories of some altruistic person walking into a restaurant and paying for everyone's meal, right? Or someone stepping up and paying off student loans or mortgages or buying everyone's groceries. Those stories are always really fun to hear about. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He bought and paid for our debt of sin with his own blood, so that it's no longer something we owe. As a result, because of our clean and perfect record, 
we've now got entry into God's clean and perfect afterlife, heaven. It's not an automatic thing, though. You've got to believe that Christ is our Lord and Savior and that he has the ability to give us this amazing gift of paying off our sins and then accept that gift. I've seen Instagram videos of people going up to random folks on the street trying to give them a gift of free money like a $20 bill or a $50 bill. And you'd be surprised at how many people shake their heads and say, no thanks. They don't want it. Not because they don't need it, but because they think it's some kind of joke or trick or scam or has strings attached. I assure you, the gift of salvation that Christ offers us is not a joke or a trick or a scam, and there are no strings attached. In the most famous verse of the Bible, John three sixteen through 18 from the New Living Translation says, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. So throughout this podcast, when I've said Christ chose you, that's what I meant. He tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, you, do you want to do something remarkable and amazing at the end of your life? Do you want to escape the penalty of death and spend eternity in paradise with me? If so, follow me. Remember in the last episode, I said it's not a command, but an honor? That's what I meant. Every single person has the opportunity to take Christ's offer of salvation from death. Not everyone does, though, sadly. But those that do also have a chance to receive a reward on top of getting eternal life based on the kind of life they built here on this earth. Isn't that incredible? I think so. Let's go back to the verse I mentioned earlier about how on Judgment Day, fire will reveal the kind of work each builder has done. Fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives the test of fire, then that builder will receive a reward. For simplicity's sake, since this is a gambling addiction podcast, let's think of this like a slot game to illustrate the point clearly. I'm kind of laughing because I'm sure Jesus is raising an eyebrow at this. You're either going to chuckle or cringe at my analogy, but hey, Jesus used planting and sheep and plowing to illustrate parables back in his day, so I'm adapting things a little bit for modern times. Are any of you familiar with the popular casino slot game Huff and Puff or Huff and More Puff? If not, it's a slot game loosely based on the Three Little Pigs fairy tale. During spin play, you have the opportunity to land a bonus. In the bonus game, the pigs will use the squares on your screen to build some kind of house. The house could be made of either straw, wood, or a mansion made of brick. When your bonus play is completed and your screen is filled with the various houses you've earned, then a big bad cartoon wolf will appear at the top of the screen and blow three times. The first blow knocks down all the straw houses, and each house reveals an amount which is a fairly low number. Then the wolf's next blow knocks down the squares with the wood houses, which reveals a larger set of numbers. Then lastly, the wolf blows down the brick mansions, which have the largest jackpots and the biggest wins. 
So if we look at that analogy Paul uses in 1 Corinthians, our rewards in heaven will be measured and evaluated sort of like that. Only instead of a spin representing the houses built, our actions and deeds represent the life we built. And instead of a big bad wolf blowing them down to reveal what they're worth, God is going to use fire to reveal what they're worth. Now remember, our sins won't be there. Those have been expunged and wiped clean from our record paid by Christ. This part is God's bonus, our reward, our jackpot, our winning lottery scratch-off. It's going to show us what we get based on literally every single thing that we've done in this life. We will stand before God and everything we did during the course of our life, no matter how big or how small, will be displayed as something made of hay, straw, wood, silver, gold, or jewels. All of the times we did mindless, useless, or pointless things like watch TV, binge Netflix, scroll or post on social media, gamble, sleep, nap, eat, lay around, watch sports, attend concerts, spend time on vacation, or engaging in our hobbies, that all becomes straw or hay that when set to fire will burn up. Sure, those things are fun and sometimes even fulfilling, and they're totally okay to do on occasion or for relaxation, but they don't actually count for anything. They're leisurely, meaningless time wasters that don't impact God's kingdom or shepherd his flock in any way. So that will all burn up pretty quickly in the fire, like kindling. None of that counts against you, of course, but it doesn't represent anything of value either. In a gambling analogy, it's the equivalent of having free spins that don't win anything. They don't subtract from your bank, but they don't add anything to it. It didn't result in any kind of win and has no value, no worth. Now, every time you do a kind deed for someone, or put in a hard day's work to provide for your family, or drive over to a friend's house to give them some encouragement during a tough time, or make your hubby a deluxe BLT sandwich when you're dog-tired because you know he's hungry, or you get up in the morning and diligently plug through your day at work despite obstacles or temptations or weariness, or joyfully care for your children with patience and loving-kindness even when you just don't have the energy for it? All of that gets put into the fire as wood. It'll burn, but not nearly as fast as those useless things that equated to hay or straw. Think of this as a free spin that wins you 50 bucks. It's not a huge amount, but hey, it's a win that increases your player bank. But then, my friend, come the silver, the gold, and the jewels. This is when you do things in life that deepen your relationship with God or require great faith or when you step outside your comfort zone or summon your inner courage, all in the name of Christ and with the purpose of helping to shepherd his flock and grow his kingdom and help save others. Even if those acts of faith don't result in anything here on earth, they do still result in a win for God. For example, Let's say you approach a friend who's really going through a tough time in life. And so, with a bit of courage and stepping outside your comfort zone, you sit them down and talk to them about Jesus. They might not respond, or they might just totally reject what you said and ignore it completely. 
In your mind, that might have been a fail. But to God, that was a huge win. You just added a big old fat diamond to your bank of heavenly treasure. Because you never know what kind of impact that might have had on that person later. They might go days, perhaps weeks or months, thinking about what you said and mulling it over in their mind and in their heart. Maybe one day, without you even knowing it, they become saved and believe in Christ too. And now they'll also have an eternity in heaven because of their faith. When that happens, it's figuratively yet another bonus diamond added to your heavenly bank, and you didn't even know it. You won't even know how big your financial jackpot is until you stand before Christ on Judgment Day. But God does give us the basic instructions ahead of time in the Bible. Kind of like hitting that information icon on a slot game within the app to see the value of each symbol and combination of wins. But unlike slot games, you will win every single time you play the game of a faithful life. Do you see how that works? Some examples of deeds that get placed into the fire as silver or gold might be reading your Bible every morning, listening to Christian music instead of secular music, doing your devotionals, tithing regularly, donating to your church's food pantry, serving in church. What might be placed into the fire as precious diamonds or rubies or sapphires, you ask? Well, I'm going to venture a guess that it's things like leading a person to Christ, like I used in the example of sitting down with your friend, inviting your coworker to church, starting up or participating in a small life group or a Bible study group, being a pastor or going to seminary school to become a pastor or a biblical teacher, planting and opening a new church, going overseas as a missionary, standing firm in your convictions amongst opposing forces, defending Christ, Donating uncomfortable sums of money beyond the 10% as an act of faith to the church. Publicly speaking out about your faith. Getting baptized as a symbol of your salvation in Christ. Sharing social media that speaks to the message of God. And one that we know very well, overcoming temptation and defeating the enemy. Every seed you plant for someone else's salvation Every time you water a planted seed of salvation, or every time you fertilize and help nurture the fruit of a mature plant of salvation, those are all big, heavy, precious, sparkling jewels. The analogy of landing a huge jackpot. All of that gets added to your heavenly bank that grows and grows throughout your lifetime. So just like with the big bad wolf slot game that blows on the houses, God will put all of those materials that you built your life with into the fire to burn. Just like the wolf blowing the house down in the casino game to see how much you won, God will set fire to your life, your building, and then assess what remains afterward. Was your life mostly straw and hay? Well, then it's likely there's not going to be much left over when it's burned in the fire. But did you do a lot to store up your treasures in heaven so that when God scoops out your remaining worth out of the fire, it'll be heavy in weight and overflowing with lots of silver, gold, and jewels? Well, if so, then your reward is going to be great. Your final bonus tally will contain many big jackpots, 
all making for a huge, huge, epic win. A win so big you can't even wrap your mind around it. Remember that verse from 1 Corinthians 2.9 that states, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's literally saying that no human being in the world has the capacity to even imagine how awesome it's going to be when we finally meet God and he awards us our heavenly prize. Now, I know someone out there is going to be asking, well, what if you're handicapped or have a debilitating disease or you're living in utter poverty or, like me, grew up as a Muslim and didn't have as much opportunity as, say, a wealthy person who grew up having everything with loving, wealthy Christian parents and is now the pastor of a huge megachurch? It's a great question. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Also in Luke, as read from the Amplified Bible in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus tells his disciples this when he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins into the church coffers. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in proportionately more than all of them, for they all put in gifts from their abundance, but she put in out of her poverty all that she had to live on. Believe me, God knows. The fire will be longer and hotter for those who had more opportunity to build their houses, which means those people have to make sure the bulk of what they've stored up in their heavenly bonus consists mostly of precious metals and gems, because their wood will probably burn up completely. Whereas someone else's wood, who had far less opportunity or was born into more difficult circumstances, might only be held to a short fire and thus retain most of its weight and its worth. Does that all make sense? So when all of that fire and burning is done, what you have left afterward determines your reward. In the last episode, I talked about the five different crowns we're eligible to receive. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically how that all works. But maybe it might be that our crowns are decorated with all the wood, silver, gold, and precious gemstones that are left over from all the testing and weighing of our deeds here on earth. The more crowns we have and the heavier they are, the bigger our heavenly jackpot will be. Or maybe we just stand there grinning like humble goofballs wearing our crowns and getting our picture taken in front of our heaping mounds of jewels and gold. Like those people you see who won a big lottery and stand there with dazed, dazzling smiles while holding up a giant life-size check. Hey, by the way, did you know that 70% of lottery winners go broke within five years? It's true. Google it. Nearly three quarters of lottery winners squander away and spend every last dime within a five-year span. That's unbelievable to me. A third of the winners actually end up declaring bankruptcy. Isn't that so sad? Imagine thinking your life will be forever changed for the good with all the great things that wealth can bring. And yet, within only a short period of time, you end up worse off than before. 
That, my friends, is why Jesus talks so much about money when he teaches to the crowds. He knows that it's the love of money and all the desire for things, for a leisurely, comfortable life that distracts us and prevents us from storing up our bonus treasures in heaven. Humanity is so concerned about material things, for pleasure, for leisure, for comfort here in this life on this earth. Certainly, having money helps us to live an easier life, but who says having an easy, comfortable, leisurely life is the main goal? Not Jesus, that's for sure. You know who convinces us of that lie? That's right, the devil. Believe me, Even though I was someone who lived a pretty simple existence out on our country homestead with no desire for brand name fashion or fancy cars, I can look back now and see that I was still so deceived and distracted by money. I wanted the large remodeled farmhouse chic kitchen, remember? I wanted a new car. I wanted a cushion of money in the bank and bills that were paid for. If you look at humanity throughout the entire world, throughout all of history, someone like me, who owned my own home, my own land, had running water, electricity, a well-paid job, a car, even if an old rusted one, and a pantry full of food, would have been considered extremely well-off, privileged, and wealthy. And yet, that wasn't enough for me. Is it enough for you? Now, my friends, this is the point where we go back and consider our vision albums. Those pictures of things, of cars or kitchens or boats or man caves or whatever, and all those pictures of tropical vacations or thinner versions of us with toned bodies or times that we were rocking it, being successful and prosperous. How much of that album represents hay or straw? This isn't an official assignment as part of your recovery, but when you're ready spiritually, I want you to go back through your vision album on your phone and assess each of those photos. Is each photo straw or hay that will burn up, or does it represent silver, gold, or jewels that will add to your heavenly bank of rewards? If it's hay or straw, delete it, because that's not stuff you want to fill your future with. Last summer, I had scrolled through social media, coveting what others had. I daydreamed about winning the lotto. And then, once I started gambling, if I had, say, an extra $1,000 in my bank account, I gambled it away. My faith in Christ provided forgiveness for that sin, I knew, but my disobedience against God's will for my life ate away at whatever financial security I thought I had. Like those moths that devour everything, remember? And also very much like those lotto winners who found themselves broke and penniless. So, while there will be no judgment against me when I meet God face to face, over the course of this last year, I missed out on many, many opportunities to add precious metals and jewels to my heavenly bank of treasure. All that time and money, day after day, dollar after dollar, hour after hour, was wasted as the driest, flimsiest pile of straw and hay that I know will burn up on the day I stand before God's throne 
and he assesses all the deeds of my life. I can honestly look back and say that I didn't build a single thing during the time I was gambling that would equate to any kind of silver, gold, or jewels. And that made Satan very happy. Do you see what I'm saying here with all of this? So now, in this new season of my life, instead of God putting me to the test, he's asking me to put him to the test, to give him one year and 10% of everything I earn without fail. He's saying to me, test me in this. Be disciplined enough in obedience to hand over to me first before you pay a single bill or spend a single dollar, a tenth of your earthly treasure, and then I will convert it to heavenly treasure. And as you do this consistently with faith, I will open up my vault to you so that you have more abundance here on this earth and more opportunities to accumulate your heavenly treasure and continue adding to the bank of wealth that will give you the greatest return on your investment that ever existed in all of humanity. And somehow, with the Holy Spirit giving me special insight, I understood that during this time, God is going to weigh this year of my life very differently. It's kind of like when you land all the right symbols on a slot game that move you to a secret level where everything is worth more. The old me, the before gambling me, would have earned some nice solid hardwood or maybe even silver or some gold as a reward for tithing my paycheck. But now, during this one-year period that God is holding me to, he's going to weigh my tithes as solid gold or precious gems because he knows how crushed I am under this massive pile of debt and how much faith it's going to require to give him 10% of every check before I even pay a single bill. I thought back to all those times I tried so hard and spent so much money trying to land three diamonds or three rubies in a slot game. And now, God is giving me the opportunity to land as many of those as I want, to build up my heavenly bank over the course of the next 12 months. The value of how much I add to my bank is all dependent on me now, my faith, my obedience. Every deposit I make into his bank in the form of a tithe will be a jackpot win. And on top of those heavenly wins, he will pour out his blessing to me on earth now in this life. Blessing so great, I can't even comprehend it at this point in time. You might think I'm making all of this up, that it's all a figment of my imagination. But God actually says this in the Bible. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, God says this to the people. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord. So if you've been gambling to win back your losses, or find financial freedom, or to win enough to pay the bills, 
or to find some kind of peace and security and fulfillment, you are literally wasting precious time that will account for nothing whatsoever when you take your last breath and stand before God. And that will only result in moths eating your wealth in this life here on this earth. For 10 weeks, over 10 different chapters, I've talked about the lies the devil tells us. And do you know what the biggest lie is that Satan tells us? You only live once and you only get one life. So live it up and have as much fun as you want and strive for whatever pleases you as long as you remain a good person. Peeps, that's 1000% absolutely false. We've already established that we all have sin inside us and that the good we have or the good we do comes from God. Instead of living it up and trying to gain as much earthly treasure in our 80 or so years here in this body, we need to always remember that we have an eternal life with God to look forward to. With our sins forgiven and our reward determined by the value of our deeds and actions here on this earth. That is the biggest truth, the biggest piece of God's intel that I'm sharing with you here on this podcast. That challenge that God put out there to me is also available to you too. Anyone can take them up on that. If you want to do this with me, then you're going to make the biggest, most impactful, most successful bet of your life. Plan to give God back 10% of everything that you make. If you earn $1,000 every paycheck, then give God 100 right off the bat. If you just made $300 doing a side hustle, then give God 30 before you spend it. These days, it's so super easy to give online. If you don't have a regular church that you go to, donate to a church you happen to watch online, like Life Church. Or find a local church in your area that you might feel compelled to give to. Or maybe donate to a Christian radio station or support a Bible app like YouVersion. There are also dozens of Christian ministries to tithe to, from World Vision to Compassion International to The Chosen Project or The Jesus Film Project to focus on the family or our daily bread ministries. They all have donation buttons on their website. And if you do long-form taxes without the standard deduction, keep those receipts because you can deduct those donations on your taxes next year. It will help offset some of those stupid income tax forms you got from the gaming sites, even if you lost it all like me. If you need some help figuring out where to tithe your 10%, a great resource is called ministrywatch.com. There's a big red button at the top of their site for the Ministry Watch top 1,000 database. This keeps track of 1,000 Christian ministries that you can sort by type or rating with hyperlinks to each one so you can learn more about it. I'm sure you can find something there that nudges your spirit. Unfortunately, though, for the purpose of this particular challenge, it doesn't count if you donate your money to an animal shelter or some kind of non-Christian humanitarian charity. Believe me, those are worthy causes for charitable donations, but God is asking us to tithe 10% to his kingdom as a test of your faith. You can donate to a food bank or a homeless shelter or an addiction recovery charity as long as it's a Christian, ministry-focused organization that glorifies Christ. You can choose different ones every month if you want, 
but they have to be faith-based in the Christian church. If you do that for one year, I know you're going to be shocked and amazed at what happens. Again, I'm telling you, this is going to be the biggest, best gamble that you're ever going to make with odds that cannot fail. So remember how I asked you to make a video of yourself talking about where you are right now, what you went through, and how you're feeling? Well, now that you've made the decision to put your money in God's hands, I want you to set yourself a reminder on your calendar or somewhere on your phone to go back and watch that video on your one-year anniversary. Compare this recording of what your life is like right now, what you're feeling right now, with what your life is going to be like on your anniversary next year. If you don't feel comfortable making a video, then record an audio message using your computer or the voice memo app on your phone. Or block the camera so that you only hear the audio. If you prefer, you can even take an hour or so and journal it down in a notebook or a Word document. Write yourself a letter and then put it somewhere for safekeeping. Or you can even send yourself an email. Whatever works for you. The key is to be detailed and descriptive. I want you to talk about your feelings, your finances, what you're battling, what you're struggling with. I have a feeling that when you come back again next year, the difference is going to be monumental, epic, life-changing, like night and day. You could even make a video next year talking about the huge differences in just one year, or maybe continue to make a new video every year on your anniversary. My beloved friends, I don't ever want you to forget that you filled God with immense joy when you made the decision to turn away from the sin, the temptation, and the addiction to come clean and abstain from gambling. Can you even picture God having joy like that? It's true, though. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? If you're a Christian who knows your Bible, then you do. Jesus is using this story as an example to showcase how God feels when one of his own children takes off to go squander their life away, but then comes back in shame and regret. Remember those two emotions, the yin and yang of addiction? Jesus shows us in this illustration that in the end, if you leave that wasteful, squandering, shallow lifestyle and turn back with a true desire for forgiveness, your shame and regret will turn into honor and glory and rejoicing. Allow me to read, and as you listen, think of yourself as the younger son or daughter, and God as the father in this story, which is precisely why Jesus told it. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, 
At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Can you see the illustration of love and forgiveness in that story? The son, or in my case, the daughter, took everything his father gave him and left his secure, comfortable home to go out on his own and live his own life independently, having a grand old time in pursuit of more wealth, more fun, more leisure, more happiness. I'm sure for a while there it was fun, maybe even exciting. But soon the sun squandered away every last cent. And during the hard times when the economy got bad and there was a famine, he got to the point where he couldn't even afford to buy himself a morsel of food. He became homeless, finding a menial job as a pig feeder just to stay alive. The son finally came to his senses, saying to himself in shame and regret, What the heck am I doing? I had it so good before, and now I've lost everything. I have nothing to show for it, and I'm way worse off than I was before. I made a huge mistake by doing this, and I'm going to go back to my father and beg his forgiveness, where maybe he'll have compassion on me and allow me to live with him again as some kind of hired servant, because there's no way he'll be glad to see me, let alone let me live back with the family again. But check this out. The story says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. That indicates that the father was always watching, waiting, hoping for his son to come back, maybe even going out every day to the top of the hill to see if he could spot his son or get any word of his return. And then, when he finally did see him, he ran to his son, ran, Overcome with joy and compassion, he embraced his son. Even though the son insisted he was no longer worthy of being the man's son because of all the sins and all the mistakes he made, the father dismissed all of it. He waved it away without a second thought, and then instead, with utter gladness and elation, he called for the servants to bring the finest clothes and then immediately arranged for a big welcome home party. Let me tell you another big truth, another piece of God's intel. It does not matter how many steps you've taken away from God or how far you've wandered from his purpose for your life. It only takes one single step to return back to him. And so here's where I'm going to add on to this episode to tell you about what's been happening to me these last two months since I first published my book and launched this podcast. 
I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you so that you can understand the character of God and the importance of our relationship with Him. You know how at the very beginning of my podcast, I described how there was purpose in my pain, a reason for all of this? Well, undoubtedly, one of the big reasons was to help others overcome their addiction and heal from their traumatic spiritual attack through this podcast. Another big reason came to light over the last month. As I committed to God and began tithing again, even though I wasn't sure how I was going to make it from paycheck to paycheck, something shifted inside of me. It was as if God had turned on another light that illuminated pieces of the puzzle that I didn't even know were missing. When my husband and I first met, back when I was a fairly new Christian, I was on fire for my faith. I'm talking blazing hot. Many of you will totally know what I'm talking about. It's the same kind of intensity you have when you begin a new relationship with someone. Remember how it was when you first dated your husband or as a guy when you fell hard for a girl? It was all you thought about, dreamed about. You put so much effort into impressing them, pleasing them. Most of us know what it's like to fall ridiculously in love with a person. It's that same kind of intensity when you first become saved. That's why oftentimes you'll read verses about Christ being our first love. It's not a romantic love, but rather that intense feeling of infatuation and devotion. That's what it was like with me when I first became saved. I had a Christian blog, and I was part of two small groups. We attended church every weekend and did Bible studies together and prayed regularly as a couple. Even though I'd always considered myself a faithful Christian believer, both of us began drifting away from God these last several years. The worries and distractions and work of our lives, and the small incremental attacks by Satan that we didn't even recognize at the time, began pulling us away from Jesus. My husband and I started watching church online instead of getting up every Sunday and going to church in person. We began praying less often, only at mealtimes. And then, even, in our busyness of life, we started eating at separate times so that we didn't even pray together over meals. I'd often go weeks without opening my Bible. And instead of Christian audiobooks or podcasts, I'd listen to something else. Looking back, I can even see long stretches of time where I didn't listen to my Christian radio stations, my favorite music, long before I fell into gambling addiction. Like a frog in boiling water, we slowly, without even realizing it, began drifting away from God. I'm sure some of you who are Christians can relate to this. It's like one moment you're floating along in the calm, blue, beautiful water of Lake Michigan, believing you're in a safe, relatively shallow bay area with an easy sight of the beach. And then somehow, without really understanding how, you became distracted by things around you so that suddenly you realize too much time has gone by and you've completely lost sight of the shore. And now you're a long way off in the current, fighting to stay afloat while a fierce storm looms perilously on the horizon. Like Peter, I didn't have the faith to walk on water back to safety. My faith had grown weak and I was too far out. God knew this. 
And so he let me flounder and flail in the darkness of the fierce storm that swirls all around me as I fought to keep from drowning. That was my spiritual attack of gambling addiction. In a nutshell, before I drowned completely, though, he pulled me to shore. And there I lay, broken, exhausted, gasping for breath, completely spent and utterly confused. But once I got my bearings and regained some of my strength back, I looked around and remembered how good it felt to be back in the presence of God in his closeness and comfort and safety. And I didn't want to leave that ever, ever again. Did you ever get lost as a kid? Or have you ever seen a child who got lost? The panic of realizing they're no longer with their mother or father is overwhelming and immediately all-consuming. Nothing is recognizable. They're scared, panicked, don't know what to do, and every minute seems like an eternity. But the moment they find themselves back in the safety of their parents' arms, their relief is so apparent. They're so thankful to be back in the comfort of safe, familiar arms that they cling to their parent, not wanting to leave their side. That's how I felt. Over the four months since I had that last devastating breakdown on January 10th that I described early on in my podcast, I've been so grateful and relieved to be done with the awful, horrific experience of gambling addiction, despite still reeling from the effects of it, that I just wanted to cling to my father. And since then, and exponentially more as time went on, I began binge listening to Christian podcasts and YouTube videos. I'm not joking when I say that I've been listening to five or six a day. I devoured Pastor Craig Groeschel's Life Church entire playlist on YouTube. I'm probably going to go back through and listen to my favorites over and over again. I also discovered a fantastic pastor named Dr. John Barnett. His YouTube channel is called DTBM, which stands for Discover the Book Ministries. He's also got a website called DTBM.org. He's one of those pastors that dives really deep into the Bible, explaining the most complex topics with perfect clarity. My all-time favorite message of his is one called True Financial Security, Secrets to Endless Wealth from God Through Peter. It's on YouTube, and I'm going to put a link to it in the description notes of this episode. You've got to watch it. It perfectly ties into what I've shared here about God's financial challenge, and it's going to change everything for you. A couple of other recommendations are Dr. Bill Creasy and Pastor Jack Hibbs. For the last couple of months, I've completely and totally binge-watched or listened to all of them in rotation, ravenous for more. I also started reading my Bible again, daily. Like, really reading my Bible. I used to be a person who kept my Bible pristine, never writing in it or marking it up in any way. Now, though, I have five different highlighters that I use to highlight scripture that speaks to me and impacts me personally in some way. Yellow is for key or memorable verses, like John 3.16 or Philippians 4.13 or any other verse that I've memorized or want to have memorized. Green is for verses that pertain to healing or discusses money. 
Blue is for verses that are calming, reassuring, or speak to God's promises for us. Orange is for verses about sin and wrongdoing. And pink is the highlighter for end times prophecy, heaven, hell, or the afterlife. If you're interested in doing this as well, just be sure to get the special Bible highlighters. Bible pages are thin, so regular highlighters will bleed through. Finally, and best of all, I've committed to going to church again. I found a brand new church that I've been wanting to check out in a nearby town. I can't even understand how I thought I could live without this in my life. I went by myself for the first time last weekend, my hubby will be coming with me this weekend, and tears fell the moment the worship music began playing, and they didn't stop until I walked out of the building. How could I have ever thought that watching worship online was anything close to being in God's house, singing along with all the other worshipers? In fact, if I'm being completely honest, there were many times when we even skipped past all the worship stuff while watching an online message to get to the meat of the sermon. I'm telling you, I felt the Holy Spirit more strongly and more powerfully in that 20 minutes of church worship than I have felt in the last 20 months. But that wasn't even the best part. After the service, both the senior pastor and associate pastor came up to introduce themselves. They'd obviously noticed me as a new face, and one that cried the entire time at that. Like an eager new student at a school, I got there early and plunked myself right down in front. I wasn't hard to spot, a weeping, broken woman all by herself. So they sat with me and gently probed, and I shared only a small portion of my struggle. Suddenly, without any coordination or signal, the two pastors and the other folks sitting around me drew in close to me and bowed their heads, covering me and laying their hands on me while they prayed over me. If you've never experienced that before, I'm telling you, it's not anything that I can accurately or eloquently explain with words. I sobbed like a baby as I felt the power of their prayers and the mighty, impenetrable shield of faith go up around me as I instantly became flooded with peace and healing and love. My gratitude and relief was overwhelmingly emotional. Everyone gave me their phone number and email address in case I needed more support and invited us to special groups and functions and events. And at one point, I laughed through my tears because all of those involved food. They chuckled at that too, but shrugged. What better way to fellowship with others than over a meal? As I drove back home, I was a little shell-shocked and in awe. The spirit was so bright and so full inside me that I glowed. I radiated the power of the Holy Spirit within me. And if you've never felt that... My friends, please, I urge you to go to church. If you need help picking one out, email me, maria at thefeelingbetter.com. I will be utterly delighted to research churches in your area and help you find one that you can attend based on what you like. Since we lived out in the country, and since I'm a serious introvert, and since we both work out of our homes, we'd somehow lost the deep connection with our church community. 
Sure, we had neighbors and local farmers and friends that we saw now and then, but we'd removed ourselves from the uplifting, encouraging, compassionate powerhouse band of brothers and sisters who share a bond that can only come from the one true God and His living Word. They are the embodiment of God Himself. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as supreme Lord over all things. The church is Christ's body, the completion of him, who himself completes all things everywhere. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12-14 states, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, Some are in bondage and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So here I am now. I'm getting up early every morning, and while I have my coffee before work, I sit and read my Bible, highlighting with bright colors and Googling up different commentaries and Hebrew definitions of words. I'm binge listening to sermons while I do my hair and my makeup or take a walk during my lunch hour, or cook dinner in the evenings. My husband and I are eating together again and praying together over our meals and before we go to bed at night. We both listen to the verse and message of the day on our YouVersion Bible app, and then we discuss it for a few minutes before we go our separate ways and start our day. I made a commitment that during this one year, where I faithfully and joyfully tithe 10% of every dollar I make, I'm also going to refrain from listening to any secular music or reading any secular books or watching anything secular online. I'm only going to fill my mind and my spirit with the things of God, and I'm going to rediscover my first love, my best love, because I'd neglected this relationship for far too long. He poured out his spirit on me at church, cleansing me and washing away tears and regret and fear. Then he embraced me in a hug so tight, it took my breath away. This prodigal daughter went home to her father's house, where I was greeted with overflowing joy and gladness at my appearance, the red carpet rolled out by the Spirit of God. My church family warmly welcomed me without judgment or condemnation, inviting me in to dine with them and join in their gatherings. I am so, so incredibly grateful for all of it. I will never forget that dark, hopeless night filled with despair and confusion and fear while I listened to Pastor Craig Groeschel's message titled, A Purpose in Your Pain. It was a turning point for me, one of those light bulb moments that flickered a few times but then stayed lit, showing me that my gambling addiction was not about me being an awful person who did something bad and lost everything, leaving us in utter ruin. I had begun to realize that there could actually be purpose in my pain, that God had me go through this for a reason. At first, my reason was to cathartically share my story and write my book and launch this podcast to help others defeat their spiritual attacker and to overcome their own gambling addiction. And that's still very much the case. But God held back one light bulb that he kept turned off until my eyes, my ears, my mind, and my heart 
adjusted to the new spiritual realm that was visible before me. That second light bulb was on a dimmer that the good and merciful Lord began turning on that day in the car back in February and has been turning up brighter and brighter ever since. Today, it's shining in all its full strength so that I can now see the second purpose in my pain was to reunite me with him again. I was a daughter lost in the crowd, not even realizing how lost I was until the panic set in and I cried out for my papa. I'd been drifting off course for a long time, farther and farther from shore into enemy territory. True story. One night, several years back, one of our cats, an indoor scaredy cat who's frightened of his own shadow, somehow got out and got lost. Our road is filled with fields and woods, and we kept calling to him, desperate to find him. Every now and then, by the beam of our flashlight, we'd see him dart across, frightened and confused, or distracted by the hoot of an owl or a passing car. He refused to come to us, even though we'd had him since he was a baby kitten, and he knew us intimately. He knew our voices, knew that we were there to rescue him, knew that we were his safety, but he still totally avoided us. We used every tactic imaginable, from getting down on our knees, calling gently, to enticing him with treats. For hours, we played this ridiculous game of cat and mouse. Only in this case, our cat was the mouse where in his panic and fear, he just kept avoiding us. Finally, my hubby ingeniously set a trap for him, and he snatched the cat up by its scruff. We were so relieved that we finally got him. And once inside the house, the goofball was so grateful to be back that he clung to us for days, racked with separation anxiety. Are you getting the analogy there? I've mentioned this parable before, but it bears repeating. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So yeah, that was the second light bulb that illuminated purpose number two for why I fell into a ruinous, devastating gambling addiction. I once was lost, and now I'm found. And God in his amazing grace, saved a wretch like me. Since last July, when I first played that casino gambling game on the Michigan Lottery app, I'd been blind in so many ways. But now, because of the two brightly shining light bulbs bathing me in the warm, glorious, loving light of God, I can finally see. Here's the thing, though. Our holy God works in threes, right? The number three biblically represents divine wholeness, completeness, and perfection. So I'm willing to bet, wait, let me state that in a different way. I'm willing to guess that there's still an unlit light bulb that one day in my future, God will turn on for me, 
shining a big, bright, 1980s-style fluorescent light on purpose number three, whatever that might be. And I'm really excited for that. I can't wait to see what it is. Friends, I have told you all my story. It is the story of a prodigal child, a story of addiction, of darkness, of despair, but it's also a story of redemption and purpose and light. It's a story that tells about the deep, unwavering, unconditional love a father has for his daughter or son. This is a story with a beautiful, joyful ending. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the enemy, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter hardship, and when they stumbled, there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, and his wondrous deeds for mankind. Psalm 107, verses 1-15 through 15. Your Father's grace is amazing, my friends. I'll continue adding new episodes to my podcast every Sunday. I have a whole list of topics I'll be discussing. If you have any specific topic or subject or question you want me to address, please send an email to maria at thefeelingbetter.com. I hope you know how hard I'm going to be praying for your continued success and journey and for you to know deep in your gut, in the depths of your soul, that you have a creator who adores the ever-loving stuffing out of you. Before I go, though, I've got one more song I want you to look up and play when you're done listening. Go on to YouTube and search for the song Amazing Grace by Pentatonics. And as you listen... I want you to think about what the ending of your story will be. And I want you to remember that you are never, ever alone. God is always, always there with you. Always. You got that? And here's where you can say 10-4, good buddy. God bless you all. Like holy water, like sand on a bird. Rain and a drought It's all